welcome everyone. Good to see you again. For anybody who printed out the copy, we're starting chapter 26 from Chabad.org. And chapter 26 comes as a follow-up to the first 25 chapters of Tanya. If you remember, Tanya was written with the purpose of explaining to us one verse in the Torah. What's that verse in the Torah? The verse in the Torah is, Kikarov elacha hadever ma'aid beficha asoso. That means that this matter, which is the Torah, that I have commanded you today is very close to you in your mouth and in your heart that you may do it. Now, if you think about it, just logically, so Moses is commanding the Jewish people the entire Torah, and he's saying it's very, very accessible that you can keep this, not just behaviorally, so that it's very easy for you to physically keep things while mentally and emotionally you're aligned with something else. He's saying it's very, very near to you that you can keep the entire Torah, not just with your mouth, not just with your actions, but even with your identity. The way you think, the way you feel can be deeply aligned with this and it's very accessible. So the Alter Rebbe wrote the Tanya to explain to us how indeed it is very near. And in the first 25 chapters, he gave us two methods. One method was the way of meditation. He taught us that our heart responds to our mind. Our emotions respond to our intellect. So if you contemplate something deeply, it will affect the way you feel and your heart will respond and now you will think differently. Sometimes you think a certain way, you feel a certain way and all of a sudden you're exposed to a new idea and that reconfigures your emotions and you start feeling differently. So in the first 17 chapters of the Tanya, the Alter Rebbe taught us how to contemplate on Hashem and that if we contemplate on Hashem deeply, our emotions will respond and we will then feel a strong feeling towards Him. And then he taught us another way. And that is because not everybody has the intellectual capacity for that. And even for people who do have the intellectual capacity for that, may not have the emotional capacity for that. Because those are two different things. There's emotional capacity and there's intellectual capacity. Intellectual capacity is you have the, the, the gift. You have the intellectual gift that you can think about something deeply. And when we talk about thinking something deeply, it's not just a fleeting idea in your mind. Contemplating something deeply means it becomes so real to you, it's almost like you see it right in front of you. Like you can think about things, but then that's it. You go about your day. It just hasn't affected you. But when you think about so, something so deeply, like all of a sudden there's a lion in front of you, your emotions are going to respond. All of a sudden you're presented with a beautiful gift. Your emotions are going to respond. You see something, you connect with it, and that's what true meditation is. True meditation is not just thinking about something in your mind and it's a state of disconnect where you do not relate to the idea. True meditation is you think about something so deeply that it changes you. Clearly, not everybody has the mental capacity for that, but then some people don't even have the emotional capacity for that, meaning a person can be a genius, but their heart does not respond to the ideas that they know. When I was a high school girl, I used to go every single day from Los Angeles to Long Beach 
to high school and my parents used to hire college students to drive us to school. And uh, one of our, my drivers was an Indian girl. She was very witty and smart and I enjoyed conversation with her a lot. And she had problems with her father. Her father was a very big lung doctor. And she, just to tell me how crazy he is, she said, could you believe it? He's a lung doctor and he smokes. You would think a lung doctor. He sees patients all the time. Not only does he know the science, but experientially he sees people who are having health difficulties from smoking. He's seeing people who are dying from smoking and yet he smokes. And that's because there was emotional disconnect. His heart was not relating to what his mind knew. Okay? So not everybody is equipped for that kind of meditation. And if you're not equipped to that kind of meditation, there's something else. The Altarebbe then pointed out to us that even if you don't have the emotional capacity, even if you do not have the intellectual capacity, you have something natural within you. And that is the divine soul. The divine soul is a part of the divine that you were born with. You didn't have to create it. It is part of you naturally. And this divine soul has acted in a way that defies logic throughout the generations. Jewish people have died rather than give up their relationship with God. And this seems to be the most crazy, illogical thing. This wasn't just about religious people dying. There were people who lived an irreligious lifestyle. They did things that were even against the Ten Commandments. They were stealing. They weren't keeping Shabbat. They were disrespectful to parents. They were not being honor, honoring their marriage properly. And then all of a sudden they were told, okay, bow down to the idol, convert to Christianity or die. And suddenly they died. Are you sane? Your whole life you were living in defiance of God's orders. And then suddenly faced with either align yourself with God or die, they just died. And no, it's not a rational response. It's super rational response. It's proof of the divine soul. So the altar of said, even if you can't create the relationship in your heart, you anyway have it within you. You just have to tap into it. You have to know that you are a person who never wants to be separated from the divine. And tapping into this at any moment, you can realize your relationship with him. So these are two kind of relationships. There's the relationship of a spouse, and that's the fiery relationship. And the benefit of that relationship is that it pervades your entire personality. But then there's another kind of relationship, and that's the sibling relationship. The sibling relationship is not as passionate, or not passionate, it's not fiery, but it doesn't go away. It is never dissolved. You will always be siblings. So when we're in these two relationships with God, we're in the spousal relationship, we're in the sibling relationship, and even if we've done every single thing that we needed to do in chapters 1 to 25, we were emotionally equipped and we were intellectually equipped, so were we able to, to forge relationship one, the spousal relationship, and then we were cognizant of the fact that at our very core, we are somebody who does not want to be separated from the divine, so we tapped into our natural relationship, our sibling relationship, even so, we will not succeed in serving God properly with our heart if we are lacking this one thing. And do you know what that is? Joy. And that's how the Alter Rebbe starts chapter 26. Joy is very, very central to Judaism. For years, 
in Europe, when the Jewish people were persecuted, and we spoke about the persecution and the change of mindset that happened to Jewish people when they were being persecuted, a lot of people forgot that joy is actual, central and essential to Judaism. It took the Baal Shem Tov to remind us that joy is so important, so crucial, that Hasidim consider sadness as terrible as a biblical sin. The Baal Shem Tov said that while sadness itself is not a sin, it is the entryway for bad things. Sadness allows the, the other side, the forces of negativity and evil, to wheedle their way into the person's heart. And the great Rabbi Aaron of Karlin said that while sadness itself is not a sin, it can drag a person lower down than any sin can. So I'll tell you an anecdote of a great Hasid. His name was Reb Shlomo. And he was telling his fellow Hasidim one time something that happened to him. He was learning late at night and suddenly he felt the presence of somebody next to him. He was very alarmed. He extinguished the candle and he went to bed. And his friend said to him, why did you do that? You might have lost a very important opportunity. Perhaps it was Elijah the prophet that was sitting next to you. And he said, oh, no, no, that was not Elijah the prophet. This fellow was full of sadness. And Elijah the prophet is always happy. So with this understanding in mind that joy is extremely central, the altar is going to explain to us why joy is so essential and then how to be rid of joy that stems from either material concerns or from spiritual concerns. So if you have it printed in front of you, we're in Lessons in Tanya from Chabad.org, Chapter 26. In the previous chapters, the Alter Rebbe, and for those of you who are new to this, the Alter Rebbe is the author of the Tanya. His name is Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi. And in class, we refer to him as the Alter Rebbe. That means the old rabbi. He is the, the founder of the Chabad movement. And so he is the oldest of the Chabad rabbis. And he is called the old rabbi in Yiddish, the Alter Rebbe. In previous chapters, the Alter Rebbe explained how it is very near to you, meaning how it is very easy and accessible to every Jew to serve God with love and awe. He stated that this can be accomplished either by creating a love and fear of God through meditation on God's greatness, or by arousing the hidden love, which also comprises a fear of God inherent in every Jew. In the upcoming chapters, the Alter Rebbe will discuss means of overcoming possible obstacles in the path of one's service to God. In the first instance, he shows how one may overcome the sadness, the dullness of heart, whereby the heart becomes insensitive to feelings of love and fear in God. Biram, But this may, must be made known as a cardinal principle. The chapter starts with but. Even if you did everything I told you until now, but there's one caveat. If you don't have this one thing, you're missing out. It is with the service of God, just as it is with a victory over a physical opponent. For instance, two people who wrestle with each other, each striving to fell the other. So we're looking at a physical example. There are two people wrestling with each other. Each one is trying to knock the other guy over. Hine, im if one of them is lazy and sluggish, he will easily be defeated and will fall, 
even if he be the stronger than the other, since laziness and sluggishness prevent him from revealing his strength. So there's two wrestlers. Each one is trying to knock the other down. One of them is stronger. If the stronger guy is lazy and sluggish, he's going to be easily defeated even though he's stronger. So this is the physical example. Now let's look at it spiritually. Similarly, it is with the conquest of one's evil nature. Despite the fact that the good nature is stronger than the evil, for as explained in previous chapters, even a little of the light of holiness dispels much darkness of the klipa, yet here too the previous principle applied, rule applies. And thus, It is impossible to conquer the evil nature with laziness and sluggishness. We stem from sadness and a stone-like dullness of the heart. Okay? So physically, it's impossible for the stronger guy to win if he's lazy. Spiritually, too, there's a battle. What is the battle? We learned earlier in Tanya that we have not one soul, we have two souls. We have a divine soul and we have an animal soul. Of these two wrestlers who both want to win over the identity of the person, remember they don't just want us to act in congruence with them. Each of these souls, the divine soul and the animal soul, want our very identity. They're like two kings fighting over a city. One of them is actually stronger. Did you know that the divine soul is stronger than the animal soul? So it doesn't seem like a fair fight, but it has to show up. So the divine soul is stronger because it has the advantage of light over darkness. How does light win over darkness? Does light battle with darkness in order to win darkness? No. The way that light wins over darkness is it just shows up. And that's how it is with the divine soul and the animal soul. The divine soul just has to show up and the animal meaning that it chooses to do the right thing and the animal soul immediately dissipates. And not just that, we learned in chapter 13 that any time you want to win over your animal soul, over your, the incline, inclination or the urge to do bad, the divine soul takes the courage. As soon as it garners up the courage, it gets divine assistance. So definitely the divine soul is stronger than the animal soul. And yet, let's look at the situation of the two wrestlers. Even though one of them is stronger, he's easily defeated if he is lazy and sluggish. And that's how it is with our two souls. If our divine soul is lazy and sluggish, it will not be able to win. So let's look at these two conditions over here, okay? You cannot win the divine soul. You cannot win the evil nature with laziness and sluggishness. Laziness and sluggishness are not inherent conditions. They are symptoms of a larger illness. They are symptoms of a spiritual condition. And what is the spiritual condition? They are sadness and a stone-like dullness of the heart. Okay, so nobody is inherently lazy. These conditions come from something else. They come from, they come from sadness and they come from dullness of the heart. How do we define laziness? Laziness is when you do not use all the powers that you have at your disposal. So you have 100 and you're only investing 30. Hey, if you're only investing 30, don't expect to win. That's what laziness is. What is sluggishness? Sluggishness is your heart is just not in it. 
Sluggishness means there's no energy, there's no passion, you just are emotionally checked out. If you're lazy, if you're emotionally checked out, don't expect to win. Now, this is something very important that educators need to know. And that is a lot of times as an educator, we think that we need to motivate our students by creating a willpower. Nobody has to create willpower. Willpower is a universal divine force that is always accessible. It's just having to be able to harness that. So even if you're sitting on the couch and you feel so lazy after a long day of work and you're saying, I cannot move, I cannot get off the couch, and then suddenly I tell you that two feet under the ground right in your yard is a million dollars, you are going to jump off that couch and go digging for that million dollars even though two minutes ago you were feeling very lazy because you're not inherently lazy. You are experiencing either sadness or a dullness of the heart. You are not getting a chance to be motivated. So motivation does not have to be created. Motivation has to be harnessed. What is working against a person? Working against the person is laziness and sluggishness. What do they need? Key in bizrizas. Victory is possible. But rather with alacrity, which derives from joy and an open, meaning responsive heart that is unblemished by any trace of worry and sadness in the world. So the opposite of this sluggishness and laziness is happiness. The opposite of a dullness of a heart and sadness is happiness. So one second. Sorry, the opposite of laziness and sluggishness is alacrity. And alacrity is the outgrowth of something deeper. And that is happiness and openness of the heart. Now, I have to say this very clearly. I'll probably articulate it another once or twice during class. When we are saying that you cannot be depressed and it's a sin to be depressed, we're speaking about everyday depression. We are not speaking about clinical depression. Clinical depression definitely needs treatment. We are talking about the fact that life includes hardship and hardship makes us feel down. And feeling down is like a sin. You can't feel down because if you feel down, you will not be able to give it your all in serving Hashem. So again, we're not speaking about clinical depression. We're speaking about regular, everyday depression that tries to get our goat, tries to drag us down, does not allow us to serve Hashem with our all. We need to cleanse our heart from any sadness. And if you look carefully at the terms that the Alter Rebbe uses, he says, Daiga ve'etzev, which means worry, any trace of worry and sadness in the world. Okay, Catherine's asking a question on the chat, and I'm going to get to that in a second. Um, worry means you're worrying about something that will happen. Worry is you see the future large and looming, and you're afraid that X, Y, Z might happen. So it's looking at the future and worrying about what will happen, and that causes a person, again, sadness, laziness. And then sadness is something that a person is currently experiencing or that they have already experienced. So their heart has to be cleansed. 
No trace of worry, no trace of sadness. They can't worry about what's gonna happen and they can't worry about what's currently happening or what did already happen. And Catherine is asking on the chat, how do you tell the difference between regular depression and clinical depression? If you aren't sure, you definitely should get, if a person is not sure, they definitely should get professional advice, evaluation. Nowadays, I I know that people are all the time getting evaluated as having depression. I'm not going to argue with that because this is not my field and I would be, it would be unprofessional and wrong for me to make that judgment. But I would say that a lot of people um, consider themselves depressed because they have thrown in the towel too early. They suddenly feel like down. They're like, you know what? I'm depressed. They might even self-diagnose and say they're clinically depressed. Well, no. A lot of times people feel very, very down and they feel very, very depressed and they're not clinically depressed. Clinical clinical depression is a medical condition and that is diagnosed by a medical professional. So I wish I could answer your question clearly, but I don't have the equipment to do so. (laughs) Not equipped to do so. Okay, so what we need here is we clear it. Oh, here, Cheryl Newman to everyone. Is the divine soul stronger because of the divine assistance or is it inherently stronger? And that, the answer to that, Cheryl, is both. The divine soul is inherently stronger and plus it gets divine assistance. The reason why it's inherently stronger, it's because it's a piece of the divine. And as we learned in chapter 19, how the Ain Sof is invested in the Chachma within the soul. The reason why we don't feel its strength on a regular basis is because we're not in touch with that space within ourselves all the time. It takes effort to get in touch with that space within ourselves. It's like, it's like the person who is rude to their family all the time and suddenly the family member is in danger. At that point, they're ready to do anything for their family member. But, so if you're ready to, give, to do everything, if a person's willing to sacrifice their life for their family member, why are they being rude to their family member on an everyday basis? The reason is because they're not in touch with that space. All of a sudden, when forced into this do-or-die situation, they realize that this is who they are at their very core. And it's the same thing with our divine soul. Our divine soul has the space within it, the Chachma Shebenefesh, that's ready to die for Hashem. And yet they go about living totally not in touch with that super conscious space. So inherently, the divine soul is stronger than the animal soul. The problem is that we are not in touch with that. But when we garner the strength and we ourselves choose to defy the obstacles and rise to the challenge, at that point we get divine assistance. So there's the, the two. It's yes, inherently stronger, but we need divine assistance to garner that strength or not to garner the strength, to carry through with that strength. Okay. Okay. So let's sum up what we said until now, and then we're going to move further into the chapter. To sum it up, we said we have to stay away from laziness. We have to stay away from heaviness. We must have zrizos. Zrizos is alacrity. You know, when you're happy, you can do anything in half the amount of time because suddenly you have a new energy to carry you through. Well, guess what? That's what you need in serving Hashem. What's the root of laziness and heaviness? That's sadness. What's the root of alacrity? It's the opposite. It's joy. It's an open heart, a heart that is free of all worry and sadness. So you have to be happy. Does that sound crazy? I'm sitting here in front of you and I'm telling, guess what? You're just going to have to be happy. That sounds crazy. It sounds wrong. 
How can somebody tell you you have to be happy? Don't we all want to be happy? And if you're not happy, how is it going to help to say you have to be happy? It's actually a mitzvah to be happy. Well, at least kolak will you. Kolak, I can't say the word properly. At least uh, um, in slang language or... There's a famous song from Rabbi Nachman of Breslov, and it's Mitzvah G'dayla Liyais B'Sim Chatamid. It's a great mitzvah to be happy always. So how could it be a mitzvah to be happy? Do you know what a mitzvah means? A mitzvah, while we knew, normally translate it just as commandment, mitzvah means connection. Every time we do a mitzvah, we're connecting to our essence in the divine. So, taking it over to happiness, the mitzvah to be happy means, imagine I told you, you are obligated to give voice to your inner self. You are obligated to be true to your truest core. Does that sound like I'm shoving religion down your throat? Does that sound like I'm forcing you or pushing you? Or does that obligation mean that I'm freeing you, that I'm encouraging you, that I am giving you a gift to be yourself. And that's what it is with happy. When we're saying you have to be happy, we're saying essentially you are happy. If you look at little children, they're laughing all the time. Essentially, you're happy. What happens as we grow up? We have a disconnect. We are not in touch with our essence. And when the mitzvah is to be happy, meaning the mitzvah is get in touch with your deepest voice. Get in touch with your deepest space. Give voice to yourself. Be happy. So yes, you're going to have to be happy. And again, somebody who has trouble with happiness because of clinical depression, they're going to have to get help. So that is, we're not talking about clinical depression. But on a regular basis, you're feeling down, you're feeling sad. Guess what? You're going to have to be happy. There is a story of a chassid, a famous chassid, Ramendel Futterfas. He was in forced labor camp in Siberia for many years. And you know what he said? He said there were three things that he never allowed himself to sin in. He always kept kosher. He always kept Shabbos. And he never let himself get down. So he was equating Shabbos and kosher and happiness as those three mitzvahs that he always, always kept when he was in Siberia. We can take it from someone like him who experienced deep trouble and yet chose happiness despite his trouble. And it's very, very hard for me to say this. I can only say this because I'm using the words of the Alter Rebbe. Otherwise, I would dare not say this. That happiness is a choice. We have to admit it to ourselves. So either we can be in denial and we can say, you know what? I'm down just because I'm down and it's not a choice that I make. Stop that. Stop that and be honest. Happiness is a choice. Even when we're experiencing challenges, which nobody wants to experience, we are not asking for challenges, but even if a person is experiencing challenges and real challenges, they still can choose to be happy. This same chassid, Remendel Futterfas, he used to, while in camps, he used to say words of Torah to himself. Whatever he learned as a child, he would say aloud to himself to review what he learned as he would engage in his everyday obligations. And one time a guard heard him muttering to himself. He said, oh my gosh, here we go. We have another one of those Meshuganas here, another crazy person here. 
And he thought, oh, there's another chassid here. I'm going to have to find where my fellow chassid is. He realized that if the guard said there's another guy muttering, it must be there's another chassid in camp who's also reviewing Torah by heart. So indeed there was. They ended up meeting up near the bathrooms. His name was Reb Misha Vyshetsky. And the first question that he asked Reb Misha in Siberia, in hard labor camp, when they met up, you know what he asked him? He said, tell me, Misha, are you happy? He said, are you kidding? Am I happy? Of course I'm not happy. I'm really not happy. I've been here for two years. I didn't get to eat matzah. I'm not able to keep kosher. Haven't been able to put on tefillin. No, I'm not happy. Of course I'm not happy. And he said, let me tell you something. The fact that you can't put on tefillin, the fact that you weren't able to eat matzah, the fact that you weren't able to keep kosher, that tells us that the enemy has power over your body. But the fact that you're not happy, that means that you're allowing the enemy to have power over your soul. Don't let the enemy have power over your soul. So think about that. Do you know that there was a chassid of that one time before prayer, suddenly he started to feel depressed. He felt, me pray? Do you know what kind of person I am? Do you know what kind of things I did? I've made big mistakes in my life. And suddenly he started to feel down. And then he remembered, when I ate breakfast, did I start thinking this? When I ate breakfast, did I suddenly start to feel down about the mistakes that I make? No. That's when I realized that this is just the artifice, the designs of the Yetzer Hara, the evil inclination. So sometimes we're feeling holy when we're down. Sometimes we're feeling down because, you know, circumstances, life circumstances, challenges that are really depressing, that it makes sense that a person should be down because of that. Sometimes we're feeling down because of spiritual reasons. But whatever the case is, if sadness is just coming upon us, we have to remember that these are the schemes and designs of the Yetzer Hara, the evil inclination, trying to get us down. And yes, happiness is a choice. So moving back to the text. So any student of Tanakh will now come to challenge the Alter Rebbe. They're going to look at Mishle, Proverbs, and they're going to say it sounds good to call happiness bad. It sounds fine to say happiness is terrible and we must avoid it at all costs. But what about the verse from Proverbs? where Shlomo HaMelech said that in every, every sadness there will be a prophet. So let's examine that now. As for the verse in Proverbs, in every sadness there will be a prophet, which means that some profit and advantage would be derived from it. Okay, so we're saying one second. How could you say sadness is bad? King Solomon himself said in every sadness there would be a prophet. So now the Alter Rebbe will explain. He did Adarabe Milashen Zem Mashma Shehaetzev Mitzat Atzma Ein Baimayla Rak Sheyagia Viyavai Mimanu Eze Yisrael. The wording "there will be profit" implies that, on the contrary, the sadness itself has no virtue, except that some profit will ultimately be derived from it. So not only is this verse from Proverbs not contradicting what the Alter Rebbe said. This verse from Proverbs actually further supports what the Alter Rebbe said. Sadness itself has no virtue, 
It's just that from sadness, there will be a profit ultimately. And let's look at that. What is the profit that's to be had from sadness? This prophet is the true joy in God, which follows the true, meaning justified, sadness over one's sins, with bitterness of soul and a broken heart, which must come at specific, suitable times. Okay, so let's look at the terms here. We now learn something new. Sadness itself is always bad. There's nothing inherently good about sadness except that sometimes there will be a profit from sadness. What is the profit from sadness? The profit from sadness is true joy. And true joy only comes from true sadness. Okay, so let's define true joy. True joy isn't somebody gave you an ice cream. True joy is being totally in sync with your essence. What is your essence? Your essence is divine. True joy means being totally connected, totally in sync with your divine essence with Hashem. Now, sometimes a person is not in tune with our divine essence, they feel disconnected from Hashem. Why would that be? The prophet Isaiah, Yeshaya, who says, That means, For your iniquities has caused a separation between you and between your God. So, from Hashem's side, there is never any separation. We learned this many times in Tanya. From his point of view, there is never any separation. We are always connected. However, from our side, we might have erected a partition. We might have set up an iron wall. What is that iron wall? A sin. If a person sins, if they rebel against Hashem, they don't feel in touch with their essence anymore. Their heart is covered. In Parshas Hazinu, Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses, says to the Jewish people, Vayishman Yeshurun Vayivat. That means Yeshurun, referring to the Jewish people, became fat. And then they rebelled. Shamanta Avisa Kasisa. You became fat. You became thick. You became obese. A person is sinning constantly. Their heart becomes numb. They become immune to rebuke. In order to break that wall of thickness and denseness and rebuke, they have to experience true sadness. True sadness is feeling bitter about sins. However, if you look again at the, at the terminology of the Alter Rebbe, he says, which co- must come at specific suitable times. True sadness is not sadness that suddenly chances upon you and then you fall into depression. True sadness is sadness that happens when you choose to be sad. So sadness must never control you. You need to control the sadness. Sadness itself is always toxic. It's poison, but it could be used as a powerful drug. Sometimes a person might be unconscious and then they need some poisonous substance to bring them back to consciousness. Is the poison healthy? No, poison is toxic. But sometimes a little bit of poison must be employed to bring a person back to consciousness. And that's how it is here too. Sometimes a person is disconnected. They are not 
able to experience to true joy. Why can't they experience to joy? Because they're having a disconnect from their essence. They've sinned. They've set up a partition between them and Hashem. And so then they need to employ the use of this powerful drug, this poison called sadness. But they can't just be sad whenever the evil inclination chooses for them to be sad. At that point, it's a pathway to more sadness and more sin and more corruption. Sadness can only come to them when they choose sadness. When this is the time that they set aside that this is when they're going to feel sadness about their sins. Because sometimes people just go along their merry own way. They keep going against God. They keep hurting other people's feelings. They're just generally bad. They're obnoxious and they don't even think about it because that's the way they live all the time and they allow their heart to get numb. Well, guess what, honey? Sometime you're gonna have to do a self-assessment. You're gonna have to shatter the haughtiness. You're gonna have to do a self stock taking and say something is wrong over here there's emotional disconnect and you're going to have to allow yourself to be sad in the olden days this was on a regular basis once a day nowadays we are not emotionally hardy enough to go through sadness on a daily basis this has to be very very occasional this is not me saying this this is the fifth Lubavitcher Rebbe the Rebbe Rashab said today's day and age and this was already back then in today's day and age, people cannot do this every single night. This has to be on occasion. Okay, so hence the profit of sadness is the joy that follows it. Sha'al yedeze nishbara ruach hatoma v'sitra achra umachita shal barzel hamafsakas feinai la'aviv shabashamayim. Why should this sadness lead the worshiper to joy? For thereby, through one's sadness, the spirit of impurity and of the sitra is broken. And so the iron wall that separates him from his father in heaven. As the Zohar comments on the verse, A broken spirit, a broken heart, you will not despise. So King David, David HaMelech, writes into Hill in chapter 51. That means, the sacrifices of, to God are a broken spirit. O God, you will not despise a broken, uh, a broken crushed heart. You look at this verse in Tehillim and you think that the broken spirit that King David refers to is the person's broken spirit. That the sacrifice that they bring to God is the person's broken spirit. But then let's look how the Zohar interprets the verse. The Zohar interprets the verse as follows. A broken spirit in this verse is the spirit of the Sitra Ahra. And this is accomplished by means of a broken heart. Since sadness over one's sins causes the sitra achor to be broken and the iron wall to vanish, it leads one to rejoice, as the Alter Rebbe now goes on to say. So in this situation, the Zohar is saying that what is the sacrifice to God? It's the broken spirit. And what's the broken spirit? It's not the person's broken spirit. It's the broken spirit of the sitra achra it's the broken spirit of impurity how is the spirit of impurity broken it's by the person experiencing a broken heart 
ואזי יקויים בראשי דקרא. תשמיעני ססיין ושמחה וגיימר, השיבה לי ססיין שאחה ורוח נדיבה וגיימר. Then the preceding verses will be fulfilled for him. Make me hear joy and gladness. gladness. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and support me with your generous spirit. So within the same psalm, within the same chapter of Tehillim, there are other verses, and these verses speak about joy and gladness. King David is asking God, make me hear joy and gladness. Restore me to the joy of your salvation. Support me with your generous spirit. Why are these all together in the same chapter? Because they're all connected. In order to experience this true joy, he needed to experience sadness. And on the other hand, sadness per se is not good. The broken heart per se is not good. The only reason why it's good is because it is allowing the person to experience true joy. וזהו טעם הפשט לתיקון האריזל, לימר מזמר זה אחר תיקון חצייס קיידם הלימוד. This is the simple reason, meaning apart from the deeper mystical ones, for the practice instituted by the Arizal, Rabbi Isaac Luria, of reciting this psalm containing the verses quoted above after תיקון חצות, the midnight prayer before resuming one's Torah study. כדי לומד בשמחה אמיתס בהשם אחר העצב. In order that one should study with true joy in God that succeeds the remorse of Tikkun Chatzot. So Tikkun Chatzot is called the midnight prayer. It is something that Jewish people would say throughout the generations. Nowadays it is hardly practiced. And the institution of Tikkun Chatzot was that people would get up in the middle of the night at midnight. And at that time they would lament the destruction of the Holy Temple in Jerusalem. Now, the mystical idea of lamenting the destruction of the Holy Temple in Jerusalem is beside the physical destruction of the Temple that we lament, we are lamenting something else. We are lamenting the destruction of Jerusalem, Yerushalayim, which also means Yerushalayim, complete awe. We are lamenting the exile of the Shekhinah, which is experienced within our divine soul. Our divine soul, sent here in the body, to be enclosed within an animal soul, experiences exile. And when a person cries over the destruction of the temple, they don't just cry over the physical structure, they are lamenting the exile of the Shekhinah, they are lamenting the exile of their divine soul. So that is a time appropriate for sadness. That is a time for true sadness. Nowadays that people do not say Tikkun Chatzais, the proper time to do stock taking and to cry about sins would be at bedtime Shema. And again, this is not a daily occurrence. This is very occasional. You have to know this, the health of your own soul. Now, the Arizal instituted that after Tikkun Chatzot, because after Tikkun Chatzot, the person had to get up and then go study Torah. Torah study needs to be with joy. So in order to effect this transition, the Arizal, the holy mystic and Kabbalist, who made the Zohar available to us, without him we would understand basically nothing of Kabbalah, he instituted this practice of saying the 51st chapter of Psalms, Tehillim Nun Aleph, and that is because this chapter in Psalms emphasizes that the only reason why you have a broken heart is to lead you to true joy. 
to remind you that when you finish tikkun chatzot, then clean up, wash yourself off. That's it. Now be happy. The purpose of the sadness was only for the joy. Joy is supposed to be your prevalent behavior. You're always supposed to be joyous. Every once in a while, a person needs to experience sadness, but the sadness that they experience is only so that they can reconnect to their essence, to feel the true joy, to take away the numbness of the heart that's not allowing them to experience joy. So you always have to be happy. Why are you ever sad? The reason why you're ever sad is only so that then you can be happy. So get it? Sadness is very, very bad. And yet, once in a while, this toxic poison is employed in order so that you could be happy. Okay. Sheyesh l'sim chazai, Yisrein ki Yisrein ha'ar ha'bamena chayshech. Such joy that comes after sadness is a joy of a greater quality than that which is not preceded by sadness, similar to the distinctive quality of light which follows darkness. As the Zohar comments on the verse, and I, King Solomon, saw that wisdom surpasses foolishness as light surpasses darkness. Note there, and this will suffice for him who understands. So the joy that follows sadness is a special kind of joy. This joy has a greater quality than regular joy. What kind of quality that does it have? It has the joy, the quality of light that emerges from darkness. Now, King Solomon said something very interesting that you would wonder, why does it take a genius to say this? He said, Vira'isi ani, I, King Solomon, have seen. That there is a quality of wisdom. So wisdom surpasses foolishness like light surpasses darkness. So the Zohar asks, does it take Solomon to see this? You can ask any little boy on the street, what's better, stupidity or brilliance? And they will know that brilliance is better. Ask them what's better, light or darkness? They will know that light is better. Does it take the genius King Solomon, the wisest of all men, to tell us? So the Zohar answers that the intention of the verse is that just as darkness contributes to light, for we cannot truly appreciate light unless we have experienced darkness, so too does foolishness contribute to the appreciation of wisdom. Similarly, in our case, one's earlier sadness adds strength to the joy which follows it. And this is the profit of sadness. Sadness, however, is a hindrance in one's service of God. So basically, it's not that we need Solomon to tell us that light is better than darkness. Darkness helps us appreciate light. In our world, all that we can understand is that when we experience light after darkness, we appreciate the light more. When we experience brilliance after hearing stupidity, we appreciate the brilliance better. It's not that the light is any better once we've experienced darkness. It's not that the quality of light is any better. It's just that now we appreciate it more. It's not that the quality of brilliance is any better once we've been exposed to stupidity. It's just that we appreciate it more. But spiritually, there is such a thing of light that emerges from darkness. And it's not just that we appreciate the light more, it's actually that this light that emerges from darkness, this joy that emerges from sadness, is of a greater quality 
than that which does not emerge from darkness. It's a totally different kind of light. It's a totally different kind of joy. To illustrate the appreciation of wisdom following stupidity, I really like the story that Viktor Frankl tells, where he says that in his office in Vienna, an American diplomat once walked in. He was seeking to continue his services that he started in New York. So he said, well, why were you getting psychoanalysis when you were in New York? And he said, well, I hate my job. I cannot bring myself to accept American foreign policy, and this is my job. And so my psychoanalyst in New York told me that the reason why I cannot accept American foreign policy is because I have an issue with my father. And until I reconcile myself with my father figure, I will never be able to reconcile myself with American foreign policy. Now, Viktor Frankl looked at the man and said, it seems after they had a conversation, it seems that this is not a job that is suited to you. Want to choose a different job? And he did. He chose a different job and he was happy. He no longer needed psychoanalysis. It definitely was not about a father figure. So once you hear his brilliant advice, it sounds even better after it follows the stupid advice that he got back in New York. So this is an appreciation of wisdom that follows stupidity. But again, this is only the contrast that's making us appreciate it more. The truth is spiritually, light that comes out of darkness is much greater than light itself without having come out of darkness. So I'm going to sum up what we said until now. And that is that sadness itself is bad. It's very toxic. What does it cause? It causes laziness and it causes sluggishness. We need happiness. We need joy. Why do we need joy? Because it causes us alacrity. It causes us to have a spring in our step. It causes us to have energy when we serve God. And yes, you're going to tell me that King Solomon said something about sadness that makes us feel that sadness is good. He said, In every sadness there would be a prophet. But wait, this doesn't contradict what the Alter Rebbe was saying. It further supports what he's saying. He's not saying sadness itself is good. No, sadness itself is bad. But from sadness, there will be a profit. What's the profit from sadness? First of all, it has to be true sadness. True sadness and experiencing distance and dissonance from your essence. True sadness and experiencing distance from Hashem. When a person feels broken over their distance from Hashem, it then allows them to experience true joy and reconnecting to their essence. So that's where we got up until now. Next class, we're going to look at material situations that can cause a person to feel sadness and how a person is to view that and allow those very situations to bring them to experience joy. So class is over and now I'm opening up for question and discussion. Remember that you're muted, so if you have a question, please unmute your microphone first. I see there's questions on the chat. Okay, there's a question over here that says, being told to smile all the time is toxic. Not giving space for emotions, other emotions is toxic. And so, yes, if a person is experiencing a certain depression, then it's not helpful for them to ignore it. We are not over here talking about running away from feelings. We're not talking about ignoring feelings. Feelings have to be admitted and acknowledged. They cannot be allowed to go their way if they're not acknowledged. First, you have to say, you have to recognize. They say, hello, 
I see you here. You're trying to make me feel sad. And I even know why you're trying to make me feel sad. And it's because X, Y, or Z. And yet, in spite of you, I am choosing happiness. So it's not denial. It's definitely recognizing and naming the feeling. But then allowing the feeling to go on its own merry way because it's not serving you any good. Yes, there are times to be sad. Do you know that in the olden day prayer books, they had an interesting line written in the high holiday prayers when it was like confessional time or whatever it said over there, Kan Baichim, here you cry. What is prayers? Are they a theatrical performance? In the prayer book, it's telling you, here you cry. Because Rabbi Steinsaltz explains this as, in the olden days, the amount of suffering that people endured on a regular basis was constant. If they would allow themselves to cry about their suffering all the time, they would be crying all the time. So no, they did not allow themselves to cry all the time. And yet, there were times when they said, okay, now it's time to cry. And then they cried. And that may sound mechanical, but it's not mechanical. It's allowing the emotions to surface when it's time to surface and otherwise not allowing the emotion to, to hijack the person, take hold of them and globalize them and immobilize them so that they can't do anything else except for being sad. So while it sounds very honest and genuine and a lot of integrity going on, we say, well, now I feel sad, so I'm just going to be sad. No. That is an artifice of the Yetzirah. You're giving into something. You can acknowledge that now you're feeling sad, but then you need to say, now is not the time. You want to be sad? I'll be sad later when I choose to be sad, not when you choose to make me sad. Any other uh, comments or questions? So, um, so I was just thinking we recently had a class about Mashiach and how when Mashiach comes it says that the blind will see and the deaf will hear and the, the you know the handicap will walk, the cripple will walk and all of these things. And we think of it as something miraculous, like so, like we, you know those books we grew up on as kids that a Mashiach comes and, and, and the blind suddenly they see and the deaf suddenly they hear. But if you look at technology today, people who were born um, deaf are hearing and people who develop these like certain blindness are seeing and they're they're creating limbs like false limbs for people who are missing you know amputated legs and how the the whole idea of Mashiach being miraculous and just coming from above to below is actually not the reality the reality is that we as human beings are going to use the technology of the world to to create those miracles so I'm thinking about the same idea with the sadness like you 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 hear about these great you know great holy people of the past who were able to be happy in in the most difficult circumstances and our job is to push past everything in order to be happy but the truth is if you look at let's say hormones like i recently was was i went to a doctor and we got my hormones checked and i was feeling you know when you describe that sluggishness or you know that lack of of like oomph like to get into life and she she put me on to some sort of like a hormone balancer and it was incredible how I suddenly had just this joyfulness in my heart like I I went from struggling to feel that joy to having it and we don't have to just supernaturally tap into this this happiness because we're overcoming or we're overlooking whatever it is like we it, and so I was thinking as you're talking that it's a mitzvah 
to go to therapist if you have a chemical imbalance. It's a mitzvah to go to your doctor and find out if you have a hormonal imbalance. And it's a mitzvah to go on that medication because it's going to remove that blockage from allowing you to serve Hashem with joy. And it doesn't have to be that you do it all from your, the powers of your, the precious of your nefesh, you know, like the powers of your soul. Like we, we can tap into the world today and what is at our disposal in order to serve Hashem with joy. It, and it's just, that's what Hashem wants. That's brilliant. Yeah, you get thumbs up from everybody. So, oh, you heard what she said? The mitzvah is that you need to do whatever it takes to be happy. So for some people, that means that they have to go to a therapist. And for some people, that means that they need to seek hormone treatment. But whatever it is, you've got to be happy. So if you're not happy, see what's getting in your way of being happy and get that out of the way because you have to be happy. Thank you, honey. That was so brilliant. Anybody else? Now, for anybody who's new at class today and I don't have your number, you can email me at rachelschmuckler at gmail.com that's r-o-c-h-e-l-s-c-h-m-u-k-l-e-r at gmail.com if you want me to remind you about class or or whatever okay well thank you very very much I'm looking forward to next time I'm telling you next time is going to be much more intense than today and i look forward to working through it together and have a wonderful wonderful day